0: It's time for your local weekly analysis. Slow County Public Policy and the Law with your host, Stu Jenkins. The union
1: forever, hurrah boys, hurrah, down with the traitor! Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on K News FM 98.5. I'm your host Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases. It has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances. I've also been honored to serve repeatedly as Superior Court Special Master and I successfully sued the Bureau of Cannabis Control to compel them to take down marijuana billboards along Route 101. Office holders, lawyers, and activists appear on Slow County Public Policy and the Law to inform you about government actions shaping your lives. Last week, I had Resident for Quality Neighborhood Advocate Kathy Walker telling us how she took on City Hall to stop Palm Street from being closed off to turn that residential street into a homeless encampment. Then lawyer Saro Rizzo talked about homeowners associations and what you can do legally and practically if the one you are in goes off the rails. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S-985.com. I'm pleased today to chat in our first hour with former Councilman T. Keith Gurney about how slow city's policies are degrading downtown commerce and the quality of life for residents. Parking planning. Roads, bike lanes, and finance are all going to be on the table. And in our second hour, it's a treat to have former Grover Beach Mayor Debbie Peterson talk about South County towns of Pismo Beach, Arroyo Grande, Grover Beach, and Oceano, and their proposed ever-increasing water rates to fund a sewage recycling plant for your water household supply. (laughs) <laughs> and she may touch on SLOCOG's proposal for another countywide sales tax increase. But now, let's talk with T. Keith Gurney. Keith, it's so good to have you on the show. Good to see you too, Stu. Now, um, for our listeners, uh, T. Keith Gurney was a student at Cal Poly when I was a student at Cal Poly. And he ran for, uh, I was a younger student at Cal Poly. Yeah, you were probably in your teens. I was, uh, I was brand new. And uh, he ran for city council, and by golly, he was the first student in the history of the town, and I think the last student in the history of the town. So far, the only one to get elected to the city council. Yep. So, when was that, Keith? 1971. Oh, my. Yeah, so that gave him a world of experience. Uh, You were at Cal Poly, and I think you started out in the architecture department. Yeah, I I
0: came here in the late 60s to study architecture at Cal Poly. Yeah. And uh, Cal Poly was only about 6,000 students at the time and hardly any women, so I had to find my future wife-to-be and encouraged her to come to Cal Poly. (laughs) You were recruiting. (laughs) Yes, I was. But uh, when I got elected, I I married my wife in uh, September of uh, 1970. Two months later, I was running for city council. I had no clue I was going to be
1: doing that. And neither I, did she. You just surprised the heck out of her, didn't yeah, you? Yeah,
0: she was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow uh, I put together a good little coalition and a little bit of money, very little, and got elected in April of that of 1971. And back then, you had to be 21 years old to vote, so my wife was too young to vote for me. <laughs>
1: and uh, let's see, who was the mayor
0: then? The mayor was Ken Schwartz. Okay. And Myron Graham was on the council. Oh, yeah. John Brown got elected the same time as I did. I'm trying to think of who else. Well, oh, Emmons Blake. Emmons Blake. Emmons Blake. Blake. Yeah.
1: With his big pipe and his, uh, yeah. a- and he had the only, un- he had one of the two union print shops in the, in the town. Yep. Yeah
0: funny little story about emmons when uh, mm-hmm. when i uh urged the council to ban smoking in, in city hall and during the council meetings um, emmons liked to smoke his pipe right there in the city, city hall said, he said yeah. do you mind if i smoke my pipe while i was trying to advocate for this and i said i don't care if you burst into flames <laughs> yeah but didn't
1: he vote for your measure
0: yeah he ended up voting for it yeah
1: yeah so that was the last pipe he ever had on the dais, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Those were uh, those were heady days. They were. You know, the there was a war on you were i think you'd started in the architecture department i did you stay in architecture or did you go to no,
0: after i was on the council for a couple of years i uh, switched my major to city and regional planning but i still dabble in architecture and i mm-hmm. I, I was in the profession of architecture and uh, urban design and city and regional planning
1: well and i think you and mary kay built your own house here in town yes so i did so The city is going through another sea change. I mean, in the 70s, it was going through a sea change uh, where uh, there was a lot of effort to control growth. And in fact, um, when I moved here in 1961, San Luis Obispo and Santa Maria were exactly the same population. Yeah, yeah. Um, But Santa Maria's downtown kept moving south because their city council didn't want any controls on growth and so there was a new shopping center every few years down broad street and the old downtown would die as the new shopping centers yep, went in yep. on the other hand in the 70s san luis obispo uh, had a lot of folks who wanted to control growth and um i think were you part of that yes i was
0: uh the issues, when I first came here, downtown was a pretty sad little place. There was a lot of car sales lots, a lot of hardware stores, nothing like the town is today. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Ken Schwartz and Myron Graham started it, taking it down the road to really revitalizing the community. And I was fortunate enough, after getting elected, to be there to cut the ribbon for Mission Plaza, which was the beginning of the renaissance of downtown san luis obispo
1: that's right that had been a real junky little block yeah. across from the mission yep. um literally junky yep uh and it was uh, it was the place where when the uh, when the semis brakes failed on uh the cuesta grade that was their last chance to finally stop yep uh, and they'd come all the way through town with no brakes, uh, with their horns blaring, and uh, somehow there was enough junk uh, right there at the, what's now the Mission Plaza that they could finally run into something yep. and stop yep. without killing people. Um, the uh, but, but right now, it seems like uh, we've, as a city, we've... Uh, got a number of things going we have uh, one of the significant things about the city is it's adding a lot of housing and some of it is because of decisions of the city council some of it is because of state mandates yep. to allow uh, a lot more housing and uh, to uh, allow housing even in districts that are industrial or commercial yep so um, is that having an effect on the livability of it definitely is it definitely is. How, how, how do you think that's
0: having an effect? Well, in, the, in 2011, Oprah Winfrey called San Luis Obispo the happiest place in North America. Mm-hmm. And during that renaissance period in the early 70s, we really started heading in the right direction with creek policies to preserve creeks and setbacks. Set them aside as parks uh, in many yep, cases. Yep, a lot of parks open space preservation was a key thing. I wrote the first open space element of the general plan. The, I'm trying to think of some, it's been a while. (laughs) The first bike plan was uh, done by a young man by the name of John Williams, and he proposed no bike paths. He said the the most important thing is street maintenance and street
1: sweeping. And why street sweeping? Why is that so important?
0: Because... uh, debris in the street it's hard to ride bikes through debris. Okay. Then uh, the downtown revitalization um, public transit was council member Steve Pedersen and I uh, started the first public transit in in, in San Luis Obispo. Uh-huh. So we got a lot of good things done. Yeah. And uh, in 1977 I decided I had to c- grow up and get a job, and I took a position up in Humboldt County doing the local coastal plan.
1: plan. Well, in those days, the uh, service on the city council was uh, unpaid almost entirely, wasn't it? No, I, I was making a whopping
0: $150 a month.
1: Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> the uh, You know, there's a number of council members who uh, now uh, make... You know over a thousand dollars a month oh yeah and uh, they also get stipends for serving on various uh, commissions and boards yeah. uh, in addition in spite of uh, there's actually a provision of the city charter that may prohibit that but uh, i don't think that's been enforced
0: yeah in the 1970s also we had uh, the residents for quality neighborhoods formed mm-hmm. with uh, Dottie mm-hmm. connor yeah and uh, they've they're still going uh, although uh, they're not being listened to by this city council,
1: there, there's uh, as a matter of fact, there was a uh, annual dinner of the residents for quality neighborhoods uh, just last week at uh, the Cafe Roma, and the uh, city manager Derek Johnson did come and speak at that. Um, I, I thought he at least gave a fair amount of. Uh, Lip service to the importance of residents for quality neighborhoods and their effect even today on, on city policy. But, but my sense of most of the membership is that, um, they, they feel like they get happy talk most of the time.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, you know ever since uh, about 2014, mm-hmm. that uh, happiest place in America started retreating from what it what, what it had been. And that was when Heidi Harmon and Andy Pease and uh, Aaron Gomez and Dan Revo were elected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and what and since then the, the the councils have been dominated by the so-called uh, progressive element um, who are trying to force bike paths into every practically every location in California and in, in in the city including single-family residential neighborhoods where it wasn't necessary.
1: Well, I don't think anybody's opposed to a bike path, but um, uh, the the issue seems to center on when a bike path gets put in, parking disappears for folks who are driving cars in residential neighborhoods. Is, is that uh, That's correct. one of the biggest problems?
0: It is it is one of the biggest problems. Between between what this council is doing, and they're, they're really taking... A great small town and uh it's 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 becoming kind of their ideological laboratory and
1: uh playground. Well in um, down downtown, uh with the um installation of the uh I, I guess they call them protected by bike yep. paths. Yep. Uh, they they take away a lane and they put in a curb and the bike path path is between the curb and the sidewalk Um, uh, it's not just a curb it's a whole barrier Um, uh, so a lot of the parking disappeared Um,
0: a lot of the parking disappeared one lane disappeared Mm -hmm. and uh, with delivery vehicles uh, you know food trucks and stuff like that that have to park in one of those lanes yeah making
1: Hygara Street a one-lane street. There, there's no uh, no place for them uh, with loading zones and such for them to... There's get. some loading zones, but they're not
0: nearly as many as there used to be.
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen that downtown. Um, and and so not only does that hold up traffic, um, but one of the um, things that actually came up at the Residents for Quality Neighborhoods discussion was... The way in which all of these uh, changes have made it difficult for people to turn right uh, or left, uh, because if they're turning their car uh, at the same time when the light's green, they may or may not see a bicycle in the protected bike yep. bicycle lane, yep. because it's it's you know it's distant, it's there's barriers between them. And of course, they're not used to it. Um, and, and I can tell you that on, on the block down the street from where I live, because I live right downtown, uh, once a week I see an automobile almost hit a oh yeah a, a
0: it's bicycler. A, um, it's exposing cyclists as well as motorists and to many, more accidents. You know,
1: many times the cyclist doesn't realize that there's a car about to turn and the car the driver of the car doesn't see the cyclist. Yeah. Uh, so far no one's been killed in that but uh, one of the comments that was made to me and I, I hope uh, I'm expecting Derek Johnson to come on the show here soon but uh, one of the comments was that um, it takes about two years for uh, drivers to get used to all the new signage and the different ways in which um, they're Vehicles are supposed to operate. I guess I, I remember back to when Peg Bernard was on the city council and changed uh, one of the one-way streets into a two-way street. Pushed yeah. real hard for that, and and she had good reasons. But over the next two years, actually over the first year, there were seven people killed. Wow! In head-on collisions because they still thought it was a one-way street and they were coming home at night, and and. Uh, so, you know, those kinds of changes you have to consider, uh, you know, what's, I hate to use this word because I don't mean a, the uh, pun, but what are the impacts? Yeah. Um, and, and so those are, uh, those are significant. Well, uh,
0: the state has exempted bike path projects from CEQA from requiring an impact analysis.
1: Well, and and that's fine as long as you have a wise uh, city council, and um, and we don't, and wise uh, folks uh, who are planning these things, um, who think about how what are people used to, how can you make a change that's not going to cause them to uh, uh, do something that's going to be deadly?
0: Yeah, so. Well, I was on the Congleton Show about the bike path, and particularly Ann Holm, Mm -hmm. with a guy by the name of Ken Herman, who used to work for the city, Mm -hmm. uh, avid cyclist, uh, and he is one of the people who really feel that the installations the city's been putting in are very dangerous.
1: Well, folks, you are listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. This is your host, Stu Jenkins, and we are having a good discussion with former... San Luis Obispo City Councilman T. Keith Gurney about ways in which the city's policies are impacting the quality of life of residents and commerce downtown. Well, uh, Keith. Yes. Um, my, I talk to business owners downtown, and I know you do too. Uh, you've been in planning for a long time. Yep. The chief reason that i get uh told that businesses are leaving downtown san luis obispo or are on the verge of collapsing is that they they don't have enough parking for their customers to come in and uh, shop anymore yep and um can you talk about what the causes of that are? yeah
0: i think i think with this city council since 2014 uh they're killing downtown well, what what are
1: they doing that's killing downtown?
0: Well, um, the the uh, increase in parking rates is, to, to me, a non-starter. To go to $4 an hour to park your car and, and giving locals one hour free parking in one parking structure. Um, previous councils sold a couple of parking lots that became hotels downtown yeah. without replacing the parking. That's right. Uh, now they're finally getting around to building some parking on Napomo and uh,
1: Palm, I believe it is. Um, but and it, I, it I think the estimate given at the uh, RQN uh, meeting, if I remember right, by the uh, and don't hold me to this, but I think it had gone from something like twenty-three million to fifty-six million dollars for. That uh, parking structure.
0: Yeah, and had they had they taken the revenue from the sales of those two parking lots and put in parking then, maybe ten years ago, and we w- we'd have that parking. We, we
1: wouldn't be in this fix. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, um, and I think uh, is it next year or the year after the uh, downtown parking is going to five dollars an hour. Crazy. And and so if you've got, uh, well, if uh, if you're the owner of the Palm Theater, for instance. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for people who want to go to the movies there yep. to say, "Well, you know, I'm going to spend uh, three hours. I'm going to go to dinner downtown, and then I'm going to go to the movies." Uh, there's three hours. Uh, it's fifteen dollars on top of my uh, yeah yeah on top of my ticket price, and uh, same thing for uh, you know the other theater downtown and. Um, uh, one, one thing about shopping is, if you think about it, people like to spend their time taking their time moseying from store to store to see what uh, they want to buy, and so time becomes part of the problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we worked really hard in the 1970s to make a, a real comeback in downtown San Luis Obispo, and it won uh, a lot of recognition for how vital it was for so long, Um I mean that had a lot to do with what Oprah Winfrey said in 2011. Yeah. But the uh, the situation now, I mean, they're, they're, it's going back down. It's it's reversing. Uh, we're, uh, there's a lot of vacant storefronts.
1: A lot of the shops are moving out to the uh, shopping centers where there's free we're, parking. Bingo.
0: That shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. And I think that's going to continue to happen. And it and it
1: probably will accelerate. Well, now, uh, do you have recommendations for what the city could do to re- remedy this? Well, you know,
0: one of the things that uh, I found, when they, when the city d- decided to explore this notion of a bike path and through the Anholm track on Choro and, uh, and Broad, they estimated it was going to cost about $1 million.
1: Well, Keith, we, we're going to have to come back to that thought. We have a hard break. Okay. So, folks... The news is coming up. Stay tuned to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We'll okay. see you right after this break.